Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week we're going to look at scriptures from proper 10. Proper number 10. Now we have been looking at scriptures from 1 Samuel, Acts, and Luke. And we began Mark last week. And we are going to continue that practice. 1 Samuel, the book of Acts, and the Gospel of Mark. Now in the Daily Lectionary series, the Gospels just rotate Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then we have uh, interspersed uh, in that is the Gospel of John. So when you're reading the Daily Lectionary for the uh, two-year cycle, you're going to get a tremendous amount of Scripture from the New Testament. You're going to get most of the New Testament uh, letters, Paul, Peter, James, John, and there's going to be a lot of Scripture from the um, Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. We're working our way through 1 Samuel. We had the extraordinary situation last week where we had the disobedience of Saul in chapter 15. He was already not doing very well with the Lord, but he made a tremendous mistake by not taking care of what God said uh, regarding the Malachites. And in verse, uh, verse chapter 16, uh, God calls David to be the new king. He has rejected Saul and he's moved away from Saul and Samuel has moved away from Saul also. And in chapter 17, we have the very, very famous story of David and Goliath and we pick it up in 1 Samuel 17, 50 on Sunday. So David triumphed over the Philistines, Philistine, there's only one, with a sling and a stone. The stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground, verse 49, where we ended last week. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine, and he killed him. He ran and stood over him in 51. He took hold of the sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And so the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn across the Sharim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. And David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. Now remember we said last week, it was mano a mano. If Goliath wins that Israel is in very serious trouble and has to subject themselves to the Philistines. Israelites win, then the Philistines subject themselves to the Israelites. Very, very, very significant, David's victory. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him, verse 58. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Remember 1 Samuel 16, Jesse of Bethlehem. That's where God told Samuel to go to see Jesse of Bethlehem and to choose one of the sons. He had eight. He chose the youngest to be the king over Israel. Chapter 18. Chapter 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as much as himself. So now what's going to happen is Saul is going to be very jealous of David. David is a victor. David has destroyed this 
this extraordinary uh, person in Goliath, this very big person. He had no chance at all. Uh, everybody understands the metaphor David and Goliath, David being the lesser, Goliath being the greater, and the lesser beats the greater. The reason that, of course, that Goliath lost is the power of God was with David, guiding that slingshot and stone, and the stone hitting uh, Goliath in a way that killed him. So the Lord was honored by David. David honored the Lord. Goliath despised the Lord, and the Lord was victorious through David. And so as you read uh, chapter 18 this week, uh, enjoy uh, the problem that Saul had with David and dealing with someone that's victorious. In chapter 19, he tries to kill David. And Jonathan helps him and warns him to do that. And what's going to happen as we go through this, uh, through these chapters uh, any, anyway, they're, they're in great detail, so I don't, have to, uh, I don't have a lot of time to go through them with you point by point because they're so long. But you, as you are reading, what you're looking for is you're going to see how desperate Saul was and how jealous he was of David. So he wasn't the right person for the job. And David was. David could have killed Saul many times but chose not to. He was not going to kill the Lord's anointed. He was not going to kill the king of Israel. He was still the king of Israel uh, until he died. And... David had great respect for him. David also was playing the harp for him to soothe him. Remember, the evil spirit uh, was tormenting him. So David really was quite wonderful for, with Saul, and Saul was quite terrible with David. David also had an alliance with uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, that was quite profound. We see that in 1 Samuel 21 through 23. And um, they had a great affection for one another and great respect for one another as friends. And the, uh, the author describes that in chapter 20. In chapter 21, we have David going to Nob to Abimelech, the high priest. Abimelech trembled when he met him and said, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? So he answered him, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, this is uh, verse 2, I've told them to meet me at a certain time. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, whatever you find. The priest answered David, I don't have ordinary bread. However, there is some consecrated bread here. Now, the reason I'm reading this is that Jesus refers to this in his teaching later on in the Gospels. Provided the men have kept themselves from women. So he ate, the, he used the consecrated bread. And so, again, we're hearing about the conquests of David, the movements of David in the field, okay? So he's still a warrior. Saul is alive. Saul is trying to kill him. Saul is very jealous of him. David is very wary of that. So as you read the chapters this week, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22, you're going to see how David is going to act righteously and Saul is going to act unrighteously. The readings are a little bit longer than usual, and I hope that you enjoy them. I don't have anything particular to say to you except to just briefly summarize as I have and describe the relationship between them. And as you're reading the text, look for those, look for those thoughts. Now, I've mentioned this to you many times before, 
if you have a study Bible or have access to a commentary or study notes, then you'll able, you're able to look at that and that will give you some information that will also help you understand what's going on in the text. In Acts chapter 11, in Acts chapter 11, we return and we saw in Acts chapter 10 that God had done a great thing with the Gentiles and bringing the Holy Spirit to them. And the first half of chapter 11, as I said last week, the Holy Spirit come, came down upon them as Peter described it in verse 15, 16, 17. And he says, if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus, who was I to think to oppose God? So as we begin in Acts chapter 11, 19, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. Remember, Stephen's the one that was persecuted. And Stephen was stoned. Stephen died, first martyr, died. And chapter 7 of Acts. By the persecution in connection with Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. So they're ministering to Jews. They're telling the message of the gospel. The gospel has the power to save. This message is given to them by Christ. The Holy Spirit is accompanying them in their mission work. Okay? They were telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. End of chapter 11, verse 20. The Lord's hand was with them, so God is moving with them. They're not doing this on their own. They're not doing this out of their own strength. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So, the point is, you share the message of the gospel that's accompanied by the power of the Lord and the presence of the Lord. The Lord moves people to be saved. People turn to the Lord and are saved and then join them in this proclamation of the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When they arrived, they saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So remember, lots of persecution going on. The Jews don't like this happening. We saw this in Acts chapter 3 and 4. At the end of chapter 7, Saul was involved in uh, persecution. And of course, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He turns himself around. Then the Jews are trying to kill him. Then the Jews are trying to kill him. So we've got Barnabas and we've got Saul working together. And the, Christ the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And that is in verse 26. In chapter 12, we have a, a pretty amazing thing happen. It was at this time that King Herod arrested those who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So James and John, remember James and John, one of the 12 apostles, two of the 12 apostles? John lived a long time. Remember, he's the one that wrote the gospel of the epistles and the apocalypse, which we call Revelation. But James died, put to death with the sword. It says that the Jews were pleased. He proceeded to seize Peter also. Uh-oh, Peter's been captured. He's put in prison. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. Verse 5, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, this is verse 6, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. There was no way he was going to get out and seemingly there was no way he was not going to die. He was going to die the next day. Watch what happened. 
Suddenly, verse 7, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up! And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Now, you have to ask the question, why was James killed and Peter escaped? I can't answer that question. I just know that in the sovereignty of God, James was put to death, and by the sovereignty of God, Peter was released. In, in a totally impossible way, Peter was released. There's no question that he couldn't have gotten out. And so he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, called Mark in verse 12, where people were gathered and praying, and they didn't even recognize him. They couldn't believe that he had gotten out. They were praying for him, and he shows up. So miraculously, he got out, and he found his friends. He knocked on the door in verse 16 of chapter 12. They saw him. They were astonished. In the morning, there was great commotion among the soldiers in verse 18. What could have happened to Peter, they asked. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Executed. Then Herod died. In the end of chapter 12, an angel of the Lord struck him down and was eaten by worms and died. But the angels are quite active in Luke and in Acts. The word of the Lord continued to increase and spread in verse 24. In chapter 13, Barnabas and Saul are sent off to do missionary work. They fasted and prayed, verse 3. They placed their hands on him. They sent them off. And now they are continuing their work of sharing the gospel. Now, what you want to do as you're reading this is you want to go to the back of your Bible and look at the maps that are located there. You probably have maps in your Bible. If you don't have maps, you can certainly look it up. And you'll see where Cyprus is, and you'll see where Pisidian Antioch is in chapter 13, and where all these places are that they were doing ministry. And so as you're reading through chapter 13... Okay, you will enjoy the fact that God is doing a great work in this area, Turkey, Greece, Italy, Israel. In that area, he's going to do a great work, um, and he is going to bring many people to faith, and he's going to use these extraordinary people, these courageous people, these strong Christian people, to share the message. And as you're reading, you can see the different things that they are doing. For example, Paul motioned with his hand in chapter 13, verse 16, and he is now, again, sharing some more theology with them. Here's Samuel the prophet. In 21, there's Saul, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. We've been talking about that, haven't we? I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Then he brought to them through David's line the Savior Jesus in verse 23. And brothers, children of Abraham and God-fearing Gentiles, verse 26. It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. He's sending this message to you. You need to hear this message. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. Continuing, continuing on in chapter 13, Paul describes for them 
the message of the gospel and blesses them abundantly with this message of the gospel. Enjoy the book of Acts because you'll be reading not only of their efforts in mission and their evangelism and mission. You'll be learning geography. You'll be learning theology. You'll be learning the Bible. You'll be learning about how courageous and um, committed they were to the Lord. And you want to give some time for yourself to really reflect and think about those kind of things yourself. Now we're back to Jesus, who's beginning his ministry in Mark. Last week, we finished with Luke. We walked through Luke for several weeks, many weeks. And now we've begun with Mark. And Mark goes boom, 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 boom. Mark is much faster paced. It's much more uh, immediate. The word immediately comes up a lot in the Greek, translated into English, immediately. And we, he starts off the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as I said last week, we go right into the prophecy about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who is the forerunner to Jesus, he comes and proclaims the gospel to them. They are to remit in their sins. He's baptized. Jesus is baptized. He's led in the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. He calls his first disciples. He calls the people to repentance. And he drives out an evil spirit. Then, if you look at your Bible, you can see that he begins to heal people. He heals Simon's mother-in-law with a fever. He prays very early in the morning while it was still dark. Verse 35. Jesus gets up, he leaves the house, he goes to a solitary place, and he prays. He heals a person with leprosy, which is impossible in those those days. How could anybody heal somebody with leprosy? Then in chapter 2, he heals the paralytic. But the interesting thing about the paralytic, remember the paralytic that we talked about in Acts? Aeneas, that Peter healed? With the paralytic, he says, your sins are forgiven, which is easy to say. Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Jesus has the authority. This is incredible. Right in Mark chapter 2, the beginning of the gospel, to forgive sins. So Jesus can not only cast out devils, he can heal leprosy, and he can forgive sin. He calls Levi in verse 13 to 17. Now, the key there is the calling of Jesus. That's a whole long conversation. How God calls people to himself. How Jesus calls people to himself to follow him. And, of course, I hope that you are one of those people that Jesus has called to follow him. Jesus calls us. We respond in faith, repentance of our sins, and we put our faith in Christ, and we follow Jesus. That's the way it works. Jesus calls. We respond. We're not looking for Jesus. Jesus calls us, he saves us, he forgives us when we repent, we follow him, and we follow him all the days of our life. He's questioned in chapter 2, 18 through 22. He's questioned about fasting. He then begin, he begins a teaching. He talks about himself being Lord of the Sabbath at the end of chapter 2. So Jesus is also a teacher. He's also a preacher. In preaching, you're proclaiming the kingdom of God. In teaching, you're teaching them, giving them knowledge about the kingdom of God. Jesus does both of those extremely well. In chapter 3, 
Jesus is, goes into the synagogue and he heals a person with a shriveled hand. Another healing. He heals on the Sabbath. They get upset. The people get upset. The leaders get upset because they're not doing it according to the rules as they perceive them. And Jesus just touched this person in a very, very significant and loving way. Instead of being excited about this person and learning about how great Jesus is, they're chiding him for healing on the Sabbath. It's crazy. The crowds are following Jesus. They hear about him. He's a fantastic healer. He's a fantastic speaker. And he is very magnetic. And people are following him. And they are responding with great crowds. Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. Whenever the evil spirit saw him, as he was casting demons out, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave strict orders not to tell them who he was. The demons all submit to Jesus, always. He appoints 12 apostles, as you see in 13 through 19 in the book of Mark. And then he takes, and then he has this tete-a-tete with, regarding Beelzebub. They're accused of being Satan. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? Verse 23. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan opposes himself, verse 26, and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. They think he has an evil spirit. Instead of seeing him as the divine son of God who's come to save us, they see him as the devil. One of my favorite scriptures in Mark is at the end of chapter 3. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him. That probably happened all the time. He was teaching. He was sharing with them. They told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mothers and brothers? He looks around and says, He looked at those seated in a circle and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So from Jesus' perspective, the closest people to him are the ones that do God's will. Now, that obviously means that you have to know what God's will is, and then you have to go out and do God's will. What did we say about Saul in the last couple of weeks? Poor Saul did not do what God said. And that caused tremendous problems. That caused tremendous problems. In the book of Acts, we see these people obeying the Lord and doing what he said and being led by the Spirit, and it's going to go well. Jesus is trying to teach the same thing uh, from the kingdom of God perspective. So we are called to hear the word of God and do it. This is what's so beautiful about the daily lectionary readings. You have a wonderful variety of scriptures to read this week. I pray that they will be a blessing to you. I pray that you'll have time to read them and reflect upon them. I pray the Holy Spirit will guide you and bless you. So God bless you this week. Have a wonderful week of reading and reflection and prayer. And we'll see you next week on the Daily Office Lectionary.